Ninja. Okay, hi everyone and welcome to Geography Ninja. And today I'm going to be talking about um, ash trees. We're actually, this one is titled, What is Ash Dieback? So first of all, I'm going to hit you with a bit of Latin. So what do you understand by the term Hymenocyphus fraxinius? No? Okay, well, no, I didn't know either. This is the, uh, the official uh, scientific name, uh, Latin name, for the uh, fungal disease known as ash dieback. And um, ash trees are actually called Fraxinus excelsior. Um, and they're actually the third most common tree in Britain. So we're, look, we're looking at this, we're, we're going to try and take on a whole range of different themes related to um, ash trees and ash dieback. Um, ash dieback is a fungal disease and it is affecting trees um, across Europe actually. We're focusing here on the UK uh, as a whole but specifically I'm going to be looking at the county of Devon in southwest England. Um, ash dieback originated, thought to have originated in Asia, um, maybe it is an example of one of the impacts unintended consequences of globalization having an impact in the the natural world so it's a highly infectious fungal disease and it, its potential is it could wipe out over 90 percent of the uk's native ash trees and a few other non-native uh, members of the ash family so what happens with ash dieback is that trees start to lose their leaves, the leaves can, can go discoloured, go black, um, and also uh, the, the crown of the tree can die back. Usually it is fatal for the tree, so it usually results in the death of the ash tree, and scientific research suggests really that tens of thousands, if not millions of ash trees are likely to die, and this has, has the potential to change the UK's landscape um, forever. So yeah, we're, we're going to be looking at the, the geographical spread of ash dieback. We'll think about the impact on the landscape and really the ecosystems as well, but also culture and, and the economy. Um, and really, you know, what is the future? What does the future hold? You know, we've got a, a future with, uh, with climate change. So how, how does, you know, ash dieback, how does that, that, that figure in, in the whole situation? Now, I'm going to start off with an article that was written in April 2018 or published in 2018 in the scientific journal Nature. And this was uh, by Mark McCullen, Mariam uh, Rafiki and Matthew Clark. And it really stated that um, accelerations in international trade and climate change have really made um, the spread of pathogens such as ash dieback um, an increasing concern. Um, now, a previous example of, of a pathogen of this type was Dutch elm disease. Um, and this really affected uh, elm trees across, well, certainly across Britain um, during the 60s, 70s and 80s, which went on to really wipe out the elm tree from whole landscapes. Um, and the elm was, you know, a particularly well-loved tree. There's really only a few pockets now surviving um, in, in the UK. Um, 
uh, with ash dieback, it was first observed in Europe in 1992. This was in Poland. And since then, it's really moved west across Europe. It was first identified in the UK back in um, 2012. And really the big problem is that Europe's native ash trees don't have any natural defence against uh, the disease. As I said, it originated in Asia and um, it doesn't really cause a great deal of damage to um, ash species in Asia, the Manchurian ash or the Chinese ash. They've developed some resistance to uh, the ash dieback disease. But in the last 30 years or so, since the early 1990s, it's been really damaging to European ash species. Uh, ash species. Now, I think, I think I first heard of it um, <clears throat> probably about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, um, knowing that it was affecting uh, ash trees in places such as uh, Denmark um, and the Netherlands. But, you know, it, 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 at that point, it was not present in the UK. So one question then has to be, well, how did ash dieback arrive in the UK? Well, there are two potential ways this could happen. Um, one of them is that the it's a fungal disease. So the fungus produces spores, which can be moved around by the wind. But, you know, given the fact that Britain is separated from mainland Europe by water, the North Sea, the English Channel and so on, this is, is probably le a bit less likely than other reasons. Um, <clears throat> the, the most likely uh, route that ash dieback took into the UK is that spores would have come in on imported ash saplings which were originating from infected parts of Europe. Now this was happening up until 2012 um, and after that a ban was put in place but it's a bit like you know what's the expression closing the stable door after the horse's has bolted or something so it's a bit little too too late because by that point in 2012 ash dieback was in the UK. Geography Ninja. All right, so how big an impact then will ash dieback have in the UK? Now, most of the research suggests that the UK is likely to lose uh, something like 95% of its ash trees. Now, remember that ash is the third most common tree species in Britain. Um, so the impact of this is potentially really big. You know, it's immense uh, in terms of uh, landscape, but also biodiversity and, and ecosystems. So as well as this, research does suggest that losing the trees from a community could well be linked to an impact on physical and mental health um, amongst local people. So a huge range of, of potential impacts here. Um, so it's a big deal also for the, the British economy. Um, so back in 2019, it was reported that the disease could cost the UK something like £15 billion. And the main reason for this will be the loss of the benefits that ash trees can provide. Now, these are sometimes called ecosystem services, and we don't, we don't always... Um, we we can be very blasé about e ecosystem services. We take for granted that these are always going to be working effectively. Ecosystem services will be including things like providing clean air um, and water, 
Um, but also in terms of carbon storage, increasingly, you know, being, being uh, valued now, uh, the carbon storage capabilities of um, plants, uh, forests and so on. Now, um, all of this was published in, in the journal called Current Biology, uh, looking at these sort of costs uh, and, and benefits of um, ash trees. So on top of this, you've got cleanup costs. So once trees get affected by ash dieback, um, you've then you've then got the issue of uh, removing dangerous trees or, or dead trees, particularly in towns and cities. Um, so the estimates are something like uh, the cost could be around five billion. This is this is uh, based on research from University of Oxford and the Woodland Trust. Um, <clears throat> and the other part of this is much of the the cost could potentially fall on local authorities. They're already quite uh, strapped for cash. Devon County Council, this is in the southwest of England, a large, um, predominantly rural council, maybe one of the worst hit. Uh, and the estimates at the moment suggest they might have to spend more than £30 million a year on their just their roadside ash trees. And in addition, you've also got the costs connected to the loss of profits from, from forestry um, and the cost connected with replanting and um, research into it. So there, it is a big deal, potentially. So the, the, the current estimates, so there's something in the region of 150 million mature mature ash trees in the UK, um, and probably something like about 4 million of these um, ash trees line Britain's roadsides. All right, well, here's a fact then. Um, so ash trees are actually part of the olive family and they produce an oil which in some ways is similar to olive oil. Mm. It's a fact. All right, well, let's, um, <clears throat> let's just take a slight break from ash dieback. Let's just think about the ash tree itself. So how important is ash as, as a tree? Well, the first thing to say, ash trees can live to to pretty old ages so something like 400 years potentially maybe even longer uh, if it's in managed woodland so using traditional woodland techniques like coppicing um, where you're, you're 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 taking off the, um, the 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 trunk of the tree the upper part of the tree and you're, you're allowing uh, regrowth to happen in a managed way so coppicing can produce um, shoots and stems that are used could be used for firewood or building materials or charcoal, things like that. Um, so there have been an important woodland species of tree. Um, in terms of ecology, ash trees are, are very um, effective in providing habitats for a large number of uh, wildlife species. So um, the fact that you've got uh, a, a sort of quite an open canopy with ash trees allows quite a lot of sunlight to reach the the forest floor, um, which provides really good conditions for wildflowers to grow, including things like wild garlic. Um, and these uh, flowers and and woodland floor species can can provide um, in turn provide a habitat for for lots of insects. So the, there's, there's that side of it. You've also got um, birds um, and ash trees are used for nesting um, by uh, owls and woodpeckers. Um, ash seeds are eaten by bullfinches. 
Um, and once an ash tree does come to the end of its natural life and they start um, to, to decompose, you've got a whole range of species that are supported by, um, by that process. Ecologists know them as, as decomposers or I think detritivores. So you've got things like stag beetles, um, which can live on the, the dead wood of, of ash. So they're important ecologically. Um, they're also in culture. In culture, they they're historically have been really um, very valued species as well. So in Norse mythology, um, the ash was known as the tree of life. Um, I think they call it Yg- Yggdrasil. Is the uh, the in in Norse mythology? So um, <clears throat> we've also got the situation where ash was thought to have lots of uh, medicinal. Um, properties and you know druids would have seen the ash as a, a sacred species i think spears used to be made of ash back in you know early medieval times and so on um and apart from all of that you've got the ecosystem services that we mentioned earlier and carbon storage you know if we're talking about millions and millions of trees um, we're, we're having debates about, oh, should we start planting more trees? Well, ash trees already, we've got millions of them providing a really important carbon storage um, facility. Okay, well, I'm going to, um, this final bit, I'm just going to focus in on the county of Devon. Now, I've got particularly, personally, I've got a, a my own connection because Devon is my home county, county of my birth, Um lived there through my my childhood uh, and up to when I was about early 20s, I think it was. So uh, I want to focus in on Devon because Devon has been singled out as somewhere that is is going to be uh, quite heavily affected by ash dieback. And I've been having a look at the, um, there's an excellent website called the Devon Ash Dieback Resilience Forum, or as a group, and they have have a website. so I just want to share some of that with you. So Devon has got something in the region of 11,000 hectares of ash in its woodland. And this is equivalent to 22% of all broad-leaved woodland in Devon. Um, across the whole country, Devon's got the sixth highest proportion of its land covered by ash at uh, 1.53%. So there's approximately 1.9 million full-grown or nearly mature ash trees outside woodlands in Devon. Um, Now, at present, in woodlands, the consensus is that over 90% of ashes will either be dead or severely affected within 5 to 15 years. So this is the, the, the sort of window of time... Uh, or I don't think it's a window. It's like a time lag, really, isn't it? From where we are now to where where we where we might be. And this is the the period at which the ash dieback disease is going to be spreading and infecting uh, more trees. But we've also got ash trees outside woodlands, um, and the the view with that outside woodlands is that something something in the region of fifty percent of ash trees will be severely affected within that same five to fifteen year time frame now the the devon ash dieback resilience forum um their their big project was was actually called saving devon's treescapes and they've they've now received some some uh 
a, a boost by uh, some funding from the National Lottery, Lottery Heritage Fund um, in order to do that. One of the things is uh, focusing on trees outside of woodland areas and really just raising awareness of the threat from ash diebacks and trying to engage communities um, and getting more trees planted. Now they are, they're looking at the whole of Devon, um, but there are five specific areas that have been identified. Um, and some of these are, are urban as well as rural. So um, we've got places like Tor Bay and Exeter. So they're both, they're both uh, urban locations. But then you've got other places such as the, the Blackdown Hills. That's on the, the, the sort of border, uh, the sort of eastern border of, of Devon. Um, and you've got parts of the South Hams and parts of um, East Devon as well that's, uh, that's on there. So what they're, they're trying to achieve, what their priority, priorities are for this Saving Devon's Treescapes project, they're, they're looking to plant 250,000 new trees. This is outside of woodlands. And there's also a plan to, um, well, it's basically tree planting. So it's, um, it's looking at adding more trees to the corners of fields. It's um, providing new, new copses, uh, planting trees in the edges of urban areas. Um, they want to include what they call a landmark tree in each parish. Uh, not quite sure exactly what that means, unless it's, it's, um, it, it's in sort of like a really prominent uh, position sort of a fo focal point for, for a community um, but and they're also establishing and running some um, community tree nurseries so there's a, a future supply of trees for planting um, into the into the future so lots of work going on there in Devon but clearly it's, it's going to have a gigantic impact on on the um, the landscape uh, which is, is clearly would have been shaped over over centuries by um, by ash so really just to finish off, um, what does all of this mean for things like climate change? Um, so as, as geographers, we often look at things like the carbon cycle. We might look at carbon stores. Uh, how important is that for um, managing climate change? And we've mentioned earlier on this idea of ecosystem services. So maybe let's just say something quickly about that. So, you know, what do trees provide for us that we, we really just take for granted? So, that, you know, they provide shade. Um, they help to, to regulate the flow of water across a landscape as well. So they have a really important role in mitigating floods. And flooding has, has been uh, big in the news early in 2020 across the UK. Some really heavy rainfall and uh, many communities um, suffering from the effects of flooding. But trees also, you know, they absorb CO2, carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, and they help to filter air pollution and that you know there's all of that before we even start to think about the ecological aspects of, of you know habitats and um, fauna and flora. Now um, also this week we've had the the outgoing head of the UK Forestry Commission this is Sir Harry Studholm who has suggested that non-native tree species must form part of the the UK uh, mix of trees if the UK is to meet its tree planting targets into the future. Now, you know, ash is, is absolutely 100% native species. It's been, it's been in the UK since, you know, the end of the last ice age. Um, 
in in the era of globalization we have we have brought in many non-native or exotic species of plants into the country um what does this mean then for for landscape because if the the forestry commission you know former head of the forestry commission is saying we need to bring in non-native species well, why why is that you know because over the last i don't know 30 30 years or so there has been a, a more of a push to plant uh, native tree species deciduous uh, broadleaf tree species species being uh, been planted really because that is part of the is you know it's the 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 indigenous species it's better suited to um to wildlife and habitats and so on it's better suited to the uh, climatic conditions however you know with the with the future of climate change and the the pathogen that is ash dieback affecting a really important native species like ash uh, maybe we have to start thinking about bringing in these these non-native maybe more resilient hardy species that are going to be better suited to a warming climate so what sir harry has has proposed there is that we we consider bringing in more more conifers um non-native conifer species that are going to be better suited really to a to a rapidly warming climate um you know, can can we bring the level of forest cover up, given the fact that we might lose 90% of our ash trees, that makes it even more tricky, so so much more of a challenge to to try and ensure that that happens. Um, but maybe bringing in non-native species, that gives us a chance. But, you know, think about what the, the impacts of that will be. It will change what the British landscape and countryside will look like. Um, how will it affect uh birds insects the you know other uh parts of ecosystems and so on so plenty to think about there um all right well i'm going to finish off there uh, v- good to speak to you as always and i will see you again very soon goodbye